text will be found in verses 22 through verse 25. I have those words resonating in my heart, on my mind. His wounds have paid my ransom. That is an amazing thought. That is all because of God's grace. Mitchell and Camille, thank you for singing and reminding us of God's grace and being a testimony of God's grace. Good morning, good morning. It is great to be here. Um, We ordered a nice spring day for you with the sunshine. It's a little on the cool side. Sorry about that. I did hear a bird barely singing this morning, but it was doing the best that um, it could. Uh, What a delight it is to be gathered together and to focus all of our attention for these next few moments um, on the Lord. Uh, We're going to go um, to the Lord in prayer. And and throughout this week, I would ask that you would be in prayer for two matters for this coming Saturday evening as we um, celebrate a night out together as Big Woods and we launch forward into the uh, public uh, portion of our campaign, that everything that we do as a church would bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ, that we move forward as one for his glory. Secondly, two weeks from this very morning, I want you now, even now, to begin to go to those individuals who have talked about creating a culture of evangelism. Uh, uh, knock on your neighbor's door, speak to a colleague that you work alongside, and invite them to celebrate with us um, on that Easter Sunday. We'll be together. It's a wonderful privilege that we don't have very often the opportunity to be together um, to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. A very clear explanation and definition of what we do and why we um, do this thing called church as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So make sure that you are praying about who you're going to bring with you um, on that day, two weeks from today. So pray for those two things over the next little while. Why don't we go to the Lord now and ask his blessing and guidance as we look into his word and learn this morning. Let's pray. Father, once again, we are mindful of who you are, that through the sacrifice of your own son, ransomed and rescued us from our sinfulness. I thank you, Lord, for every single person that is here today to be reminded of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also, Lord, to stir our hearts, um, to lean on one another as we live life every day, to seek encouragement from one another, to seek encouragement from your word, to seek encouragement from you, your spirit that is here with us. Uh, Lord, I I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, for us together as a body of believers that as we do life together, that we we are known for our love for one another, that we extend grace, that we are patients, that we care, that as we um, advance for the cause of the gospel in Lock Haven and the surrounding communities, that we do it, Lord, in a way that the name of Jesus is... Is, is glorified, is made known loud and clear in this, in this community. I pray, Lord, right now that you would minister encouragement and comfort to those that perhaps are here that are aching or hurting. Uh, Lord, those that are here today that perhaps don't know you personally, 
have not received the gift of salvation by grace through faith, God, I would ask that today that they would hear, they would know, that they would believe, that they would become a child of God, that you would draw them in a unique and amazing way to yourself through the teaching and preaching of your word. Um, We ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen and amen. We're going to look this morning as you have your Bibles in front of you on your laps or in your hands. We're going to look this morning at the subject of this book of the Bible. Um, I stumbled this week upon a list of the the top-selling books of all time. Um, Listen to this and listen to where the Bible falls. Think for a moment of where you think the Bible will fall. Um, One of the the top-selling books of all time, one of the top, perhaps, leading Christian books of all time, Uh, Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life has sold... Uh, approximately 30 million copies. Think about 30 million copies, how many that is. Um, Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace, just a light little read, perhaps you want to take care of later on this afternoon. 36 million copies um, since it has been uh, written and produced. Um, There's a tie for the tale of Peter Rabbit and Charlotte's Web. Um, They're neck and neck right now. Um, I think the rabbit loses eventually, um, at 45 million. Um, um, Anne of Green Gables, my mom, my sisters would be so glad to hear this. Um, Anne of Green Gables has sold 50 million copies. Uh, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, 85 million. Um, the Hobbit by Tolkien, 100 million. Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, 150 million. And, and here's, here's um, the next one. Um, Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. I know that many of you required reading, okay? Number one most, most sold book apart from the Bible, okay? 200 million copies. 200 million copies for um, Charles Dickens. Tale of Two Cities. Now think about for a moment, where where is the Bible, where number one of all time bestseller, where do you think that lands if it's more than 200 million? Get this, it's actually difficult. They actually have done numerous studies and a statistical analysis was done by two men from um, Seattle area, Seth Harden and Chris Fitzpatrick. And it's hard to determine because the number of translations, the number of languages, but they estimate, get this, get this, the number of Bibles that have been, that have been printed and, and distributed. They believe, according to a statistical analysis, it's more than 2.8 billion and less than 10.2 billion. So they claim that the median... Okay, according to statistical analysis, how many copies of this have been printed? And and 6.82 billion copies. Okay, even second place, okay, pales in comparison to that. This book is unlike anything that has ever existed, anything that will ever exist in the history of mankind. Pay careful attention to our text this morning that draws all of our focus, all of our attention 
to this book that God has given to us this morning. First Peter chapter 1, we conclude our chapter today, verses 22 through verse 25. Here's our text. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. What I do as I um, begin with a text each week is I simply take that preaching portion, I call it, and read it repeatedly. Read it over and over and over and over again. The common practice in study exegesis is noting anything that is repeated. And it's pretty obvious here that there's a word that's repeated in our text. And the word is word. It says in verse 23, the living and abiding word of God. The first part of verse 25, the word of the Lord remains forever. The latter part of verse 25, the word is the good news. This deals with the fact that the word that you hold in your hands, on your laps, does not, will not, and cannot ever end. The word is everlasting, it is endless, it is ceaseless, it is eternal. I reminded you last week, and I certainly don't want to belabor the point, but we have to recognize everything that is represented here in life as we know it, everything will eventually cease to exist. Everything will come to an end. Our homes will crumble and collapse, our vehicles rust, our clothes fade, our possessions wear out, our family members die. Your own body, one day your heart will stop beating, you will stop breathing, and it will come to an end. Everything will dry up and blow away. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. Exodus chapter 3, in verse 20, says what? From dust you came, and to dust you will return. However, there's something that happens. Before that moment, okay, until that moment when a pastor is standing over your coffin or your urn, whatever it is, before he says the words ashes to ashes and dust to dust, there is instruction that is given in this word for how you are to live your life, for the purpose that you have for your life. Everything will cease around us except this word. It says it, the word of the Lord remains forever. That's going to be our subject today. There are several references. I've been quietly meditating on Psalm 119, taking eight verses, segments at a time over the last several days. The word of God is referred to as, as the principles 
precepts, the testimonies, the commandments, the statutes, the law, the truth. We need to understand this book is unlike anything else. It's more than a book that you find in a drawer of a hotel room. It's more than a big book that sits in a prominent place, perhaps in your your grandmom's house or in your house that collects dust. And in the front part, you keep the family records of, of births and deaths and weddings. It's more than that. It is a book that has been written over a span of 1,500 years from more than 40 different authors. This book is divided into 66 smaller books, 27 New Testament, 39 Old Testament. There's 1,189 chapters. There's 773,693 words. And yet all of this contains one theme, one central theme that weaves its way all the way through it. The theme is what? God reaching toward man and man's response to God. A central theme all the way through it. Although far greater in length, there are actually only 6,000 different words that are used in the Bible in comparison to 20,000 words that are used in Shakespeare's plays. It is complex, yet it is very simple. The average word is only five letters long in the Bible. Such simple words that are used repeatedly like grace and peace and faith and saved, and serve in Jesus. All the way through, we see the same theme. There's also a phrase that is used exactly 365 times, the same number of days that we have in the year. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It seems that all of history pivots around the invention of the printing press. In 1455, when Johann Gutenberg produced what is considered to be the first printed book by movable type ever, and it was a Latin copy of what? Of this book you hold in your hands and on your laps, the Bible. It remains far beyond a bestseller. Get this. Get this, according to what Paul says to young pastor Timothy, all of this book, all scripture is given by inspiration. It translates, God has breathed these words. And it's useful, it's profitable for doctrine. They're teaching us the foundation of what we believe for reproof and correction, steering us towards holiness, for instruction in righteousness. Think about it like this. God's word to you personally, God's word for you. In all-knowing, all-powerful, transcendent God wrote this word. And he had you personally in mind. If you were to wake up tomorrow morning to a booming, audible voice from heaven, from God himself, I think you would pay attention to him. You were to actually treat God's word. When you open it up, you are to treat it with the exact same type of response with the exact same type of respect. You ever, you ever pause on that? You ever ponder that and consider and contemplate God breathe these words with you and with your life in mind. 
You sense the weight and the magnitude of responsibility that presses upon you every single time you sit. I certainly do as one who is responsible to teach and to preach it. Knowing full well that one day I will not be here any longer. But this words will always remain. It will never go. I have been encouraged many times with the quotes, many times over the years. Clark Pinnock wrote, I remember learning it way back in college, talking about the fact that preaching is not the act of unfolding our personal convictions. It is the duty of informing men of all that God has spoken. And Pinnock says this, to move off from the pages of Scripture is to enter into the wastelands of our own subjectivity. That is a dangerous place. Sadly, sadly, many churches today are moving away from the pages and the authority of this words. And it's trouble all the way around. Over the years I have come to realize more and more that preaching has very little to do with me and has much to do with this book. Everything that we do, everything that we do, we as elders pray regularly to make sure that we do it in accordance and in alignment with the Word of God. I love how Piper, John Piper summarizes it. He says it like this. Simply put, the things that Scripture makes a big deal about, a healthy church should make a big deal about. Christ should be in every sermon. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to make sure is clearly communicated. And so we give it our careful, our precise, and our exact attention. You put away the texting, you put away Google, and you stop the noise from the rest of the past week and the week to come, and we listen to the ordinary means of primary grace that is extended through the preaching of God's words. Now, be ready for the fact that there are many people, there are millions of people in this world who will mock you for doing what you are doing at this very moment. When you open and read God's word, they will make fun of you. How can you put such confidence and trust and faith and weight in an ancient, archaic, outdated, out-of-touch, old-fashioned book. They will scream at you. They will seethe an animosity toward you. And my response to that is very simply, let them scream. You realize that by their own, by their, those that are incensed by it, are proving the very value and proving the very power of Scripture. Those who have lived with a single goal to destroy the Word of God, to discredit it, to burn it, to bind people. We realize even to these listeners that Peter is, is addressing, people who perhaps held pieces of handwritten portions of Scripture, for thousands of years people have been tempted to extinguish it. And they cannot. Why? Why? Because the word of the Lord remains forever. You cannot be be indifferent. You love it or you hate it. It is a force that cannot go unnoticed. It must be reckoned with. Whole societies have been established. Let's let's create Karl Marx and Lenin established an entire society apart from the word of God with an atheistic approach. 
A former Soviet society had actually attempted to discard and discredit, destroy the word of God. They printed their own dictionary, and the dictionary definition of the word Bible read, and I quote, It is a collection of fantastic legends without scientific proof. It is full of dark hints and historical mistakes and contradictions. It serves as a factor for gaining power and subjugating unknowing nations. Where is the Soviet Union today? It does not exist. Voltaire said this more than 150 years ago. In 100 years, the Bible will be found only in a museum. Voltaire stands corrected. The Bible remains the greatest selling, the greatest, what? Most widely known and distributed book of all times. What is the tone that exists here within our context? The Apostle Paul writes this letter to Christians that have been forced into exile because they believe the truth, because they believe the word of God. They believe that there's one true God. They believe that this one true God loved them enough to offer his own son to die in their place, the place that they deserve. They believe this message, and as a result, they were forced into dispersion. They are wandering through northern Turkey. They are being hunted and homeless. They are hungry, but they are not helpless because they have something that it cannot be taken. It's tucked deep in their hearts. Externally, it's tough. Internally, they are doing Peter reminds them with this. He begins in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. The NIV says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Now note something very clearly here. You only purify something, what? That is dirty. When you come in as a kid playing from outside and you're completely white, mom says, go and wash your hands, wash your face, get ready, clean up. If someone has just done that, you don't send them back. They've already done it. By this very fact, what it says, what, that their, their souls have been purified means that their souls at one time were dirty. They were blackened with sin and they needed to be cleansed. They needed to be cleansed. How? Through the obedience of the truth. Obedience to the truth. What's the truth? We see this concluded later in verse 25. The truth is the gospel. It's the good news. Understand the central message found throughout the pages of the Word of God. Salvation from our sin is seen in Scripture. Paul said it very well in Romans chapter 10. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Reformers got it perfectly right with a doctrine that they referred to as sola scriptura, by Scripture alone. Everything, everything is found in Scripture that is necessary for our salvation. And I quote, Scripture alone is completely authoritative and infallible in all that it teaches, being without error in the original writing. Scripture alone clearly teaches all that is necessary for our salvation from sin. It is sufficient for all that God requires us to believe and do, and it is the standard by which all Christian behavior must be measured. They got the authority of Scripture right. One of the great reformers, Martin Luther, 
who is well known for his declaration at the Diet Edict of Worms. He says this, unless I am convicted by Scripture, unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Do, do you live your life like that? Everything that you hear, all the garbage that is being pushed at us, do you sift everything through the truth of the Word of God? Is your conscience captive? Dads, are you setting the tone for your families? Single moms, are you leading your families, your children in prayer every day? Is your conscience held captive by by the word of God. As our souls have been purified by obedience to the word of truth, we see number one, obedience to the word of God produces something. It produces a love for others. And that's a long introduction, but we get to our first point. Obedience to the word of God produces a love for others. Peter continues with more instruction that is imperative and it's imperative in the most difficult of times. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, look at this. It's a command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This speaks about the fact that loving others in obedience to the truth is evidence of what's taking place. Now our soul that at one point was filthy and dirty and blackened by sin has been made clean, has been purified in evidence of that. is an outpouring. It cannot be contained. A, a earnest love for one another from a pure heart. That is loving without looking for something in return. Do you realize that's really hard for you and I to do? Now, we can do a lot of this. I like you. I really do like you. I just don't want to spend any time with you. Well, that's not what we're talking about. It's beyond this. This is a love. And it's a love that, in a sense, we are trained that I will love you because I know that you're going to take care of me. I love you because I know you're going to have something back for me in return. That's not what we're talking about. True love, love from a pure heart, is offering ourselves expecting nothing back. I love the little story I'll read to you that I think demonstrates this so perfectly and so beautifully. His name is Chad. Little Chad was a shy quiet young fella. One day he came home and he told his mother that he'd like to make a valentine for everyone in his class. Her heart sank. She thought, I wish he wouldn't do that. Because she had watched the children when they walked home from school. And her Chad was always behind them. They laughed and they hung on to each other and they talked to each other. But Chad was never included. Nevertheless, she decided that she would go along with her son. So she purchased the paper and the glue and the crowns. And for three whole weeks, night after night, Chad painstakingly made 35 Valentines. Valentine's Day dawned and Chad was beside himself with excitement. He carefully stacked them up and he put them in a bag and he bolted out the door. His mom decided to bake him his favorite cookies and serve them up warm and nice with a cool glass of milk when he got home from school. 
She just knew that he'd be disappointed. Maybe that would ease the pain a little. It hurt her to think that he wouldn't get many Valentines, maybe none at all. That afternoon, she had the cookies and the milk out on the table. When she heard the children outside, she looked out the window, and sure enough, here they came, laughing and having the best time. And as usual, there was Chad in the back. He walked a little faster than usual, and she fully expected him to burst into tears as soon as he got inside. His arms were empty, she noticed, and when the door opened, she choked back the tears. Mommy has some warm cookies and milk for you. But he hardly heard her words. He just marched right on by. His face was aglow. And all he could say was, not a one, not a one. And her heart sank. And then he added, I didn't forget a one, not a single one. In a sense, this little one who says, you know what, it's about giving. It's not looking for what I'm going to get back. It's just offering myself. This cannot happen. This cannot exist apart from the truth and obedience to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that type of love that the word of God can bring into your heart if, if, if you surrender. Jesus Christ said it like this in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, and by this all people will know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's an evidence and an outpouring that this book exists forever by the fact that it seeps in and out of your life. And there's more here that the word offers. I want to pause and concentrate for a few moments. It says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding word of God. First of all, we see obedience to the word of God produces a love for others. Secondly, number two, adherence to the word of God produces a life forever. This says the only way for a person to actually live forever is to be born again, to truly have life. And the word, the phrase that is used through the living word is by being born again. The living word enables you to live. The living word enables you to live. Think about the fact that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to give you life. And there's something inside, intrinsically, internally, that we have a desire to live, to continue to live. Um, this takes you back a little bit to your, your history books. And, and the Spanish explorer, Hernando de Soto, who, who landed on the the shores of Florida to explore and investigate. He's the one, who, in a sense, who, who eventually discovers the mouth and the, the, the mighty Mississippi River. But he didn't come to America looking for the Mississippi River. Old Miss, the mighty Miss. He didn't come looking for that. You know what he came from? You know what he came for? 
He came because there was a legend that in this area, there was a fountain. That if you were to swim in this fountain, that you would live forever. It's referred to as the fountain of life. That's what DeSoto was looking for. Do you know what? He didn't find it. I know that everyone's heading to Florida. Okay, for, but, but he, it's, he, why didn't he find it? Why? He looked everywhere. He discovered the Mississippi River and he didn't find it. Why? Because it doesn't exist. There is no, there's nothing that you can dip into and splash on you that, that's going to bring you life forever. Instead, we hold in our hands and on our laps the only map that God has given to eternal life. Some will defy it, some will deny it, some will seek to, to destroy it. Many will be destroyed for rejecting it, but it doesn't change what it is. There's an unknown author I read. It says this, and I quote, This book, this book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. This book is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Here, paradise is restored. Heaven opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good, its design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, Prayerfully, it is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to a resurrected life in Christ. Yes, to glory itself for eternity. It, 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 it offers that. Do you understand why back in Deuteronomy in chapter 6 the instruction is given for, for how we're to live life every day and what place, what prominent place this book is to hold? It says this, this is clear instruction for us, for us as parents and grandparents, moms and dads, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children, diligently. And you shall, you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you ride. You shall bind them as, as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It talks about the fact that we are to live our lives saturated and surrounded with this truth. You can't help, you can't help but sit down together as a family. And you can't help for this to what? Emote from us. I learned this. I'm challenged by this. God is guiding me through this. We write it on our houses. We write it on our walls. We memorize it. We meditate it. We soak in it every single day. That's what the Word of God is to be. 
I feel quite certain that when Peter is addressing these these wandering Christians, that, that they were forced into exile and they were forced to leave quickly. They, they didn't pack up. They weren't hauling huge wagon trains of stuff in caravans. There was no U-Hauls that were being hauled. You know what? They, they, they grabbed a few things. And one of the things that they had with them was stored in their heart. They were familiar with the teaching of Scripture. They were familiar with the prophet Isaiah's words in Isaiah chapter 40 that I read that you have before you. They remind us about the prominent place of God's Word and how, how permanent God's Word is. They had this with them. They didn't have to pack it up somewhere. They knew the truth. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord will stand, will stand. It remains, it endures forever. When all hell breaks loose, they have no idea. They are what? They are firmly grounded in that which they know is forever and ever. Everything will disappear and dissipate as we know it, but this word will not. Do do you see that? Do you understand that? And do you believe that natural life results from physical birth and it's temporary? Spiritual life results from the word of God. And it is eternal. I remember listening to an old black preacher years ago. And he held up a, a, a seed of wheat. And he said this, and I just can't do it the way that it's just those big black old preachers. And he said, I hold in my hand a seed. It is small and it is hard and it is round. He said, but inside of it is the secret of life. He said, that's a parable. That's that's what the word of God is. Inside of this offers us life forever. And not only just life forever, a transformed life that pours out what? In evidence that our lives have been transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's evidence in the way that we care for and speak about and talk and love on one another. Remember meeting a man his name was Monty Lewis, and he heads up a, a ministry throughout the provinces of Canada, jail ministry, and he actually got his experience in jail. He had served many years as a condemned, convicted murderer. He had murdered another man. And after he was arrested, says that he was in such violence. Not only was he a danger to other people, but he was a danger to himself. And when they put him into a prison cell, they literally stripped him completely naked and put him in with nothing, cement walls and a cement floor. The next day, there's a little latch that opened, he said, in the cell door, and a little short man pushed in through that slot a copy of God's Word. And he said he was immediately grateful for it because he used it as a pillow to lay his head on. He had nothing. And after several days, he, he opened it and he began to read it. 
And he, I remember the story. He's telling me he was reading in Romans chapter 12, not to be conformed to this world. Don't be like the rest. Don't be as he is behaving. But it said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he said that, and he held his head. He said, I felt my head, my mind was hurting because God was healing my mind. And after a period of time, he gave his life and he surrendered. And he served many years for that crime. And when he was set free, he is set free with a mission. And he lives and he teaches and he preaches to some of the hardened, most difficult people in the world. But that's what God's word does. It heals, it restores, it frees. We have this, hold on to this, love this, live by this. May we have it as our roadmap for every single step that we take, individually, as a family, and as a church. And may we realize that when a day that we don't exist any longer, that this will continue on. It will never be silenced. It will never be destroyed. It is God's breathed word to you to fulfill his plan of rescuing us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, we are so unworthy of your love. We're so unworthy of your message, but we are so grateful. You saw us and you rescued us and that you offer us this. God, give us the power to live every day according to its truth, to your precepts. May you be glorified in that. In your name we pray. Just stand with us, please, as we close.